1: And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Banks with Bubba, episode 270. Going to talk some more fantasy baseball with a recurring guest to the show. You can find him on Twitter at Michael F. Florio. Mike, how we doing, man? I'm good. I'm really
2: excited to, to be joining you again. Uh, it's always a fun time when we get together and talk some baseball.
1: Yep, always a good time. Uh, I'll have to have you on one of these days to talk some football, but uh, I'm trying to trying to tread water there yet i'm gonna let the draft experts do draft experts things and i'll wait a little bit longer but um it's it's still baseball in my mind as long until they tell me it's not type situation and uh you've been writing up writing and doing videos doing all kinds of crazy work over there at roto baller why don't you let everybody know what you've been up to and what you got going on
2: yeah of course Uh, so i've been putting out about two articles a week uh, over at Baller, we're going to discuss uh, the latest ones that came out, so I won't reveal those just yet. But I think they're good stuff, and I think everyone should head over to Rotoballer and read them. Uh, I also got two videos coming out. Uh, they get released on Rotoballer, but as well on their YouTube page. And basically, I'm just going position by position, giving giving my favorite sleepers. These are guys, you know, going usually... Outside of the top 20 at their position, but sometimes, you know, you'll get like a 18th or 19th guy off the board to their position if I like him a lot. I'm doing that, and then on the weekends, you can catch me on uh, XM with Scott, the King Angle, 9 to 11 p.m. Saturday and Sundays.
1: Yep, you're a busy man over there doing some good good stuff, as always, so go check all that stuff out, everybody. And like Mike said, we're going to go over some of his recent articles, and a couple of them I really thought were interesting because in this time of we don't know what's going to happen. With baseball, we're all hoping for some sort of season, probably a shortened season of some sort, and we really don't know how to approach that because it's never been, never happened at least to start a season like this. So we're trying to find different angles on like who benefits, who doesn't. We're uh, we're putting educated guesses in, good research into it. Still, who knows what's going to happen? But I like what you did. You, you had a couple articles about slow starting hitters and slow starting pitchers. We're going to start with the hitters to kind of give us an idea because Mike, watch everybody know why? Why were you looking at slow starters per se?
2: So this, to give credit where it is due, this is an idea that was hatched after seeing a conversation on Twitter between Matt Modica and Rob Silver. And I think you'd agree, Bubba, those are two of the smartest minds. Two pretty and, sharp guys, yeah. Yeah, so if you've seen them talking, you know, you might want to click open that conversation and, and at <laughs> least skim it and see what they're talking about. And in one of the conversations I saw, they were talking about how slow starts are going to be harder to climb out of this year. And that was something that I hadn't even really thought of. Cause again, like you said, this is a total unknown. We're, we're kind of in the fantasy baseball abyss right now. And that logic makes sense though. Like normally if you're, you know, towards the basement come April, you're not panicking yet because there's still five long months of the season for you to come back. But now one month into this season, you could be a third of the way into the season. Who knows how long of a, of a season we're actually going to get. So my thinking was, I understand it's hard to quantify a slow starter, but I tried to do so as like, hey, if you are afraid of, if you believe that slow starting is a a quality, and you're afraid of, you know, get ending up in that in your in that your fantasy baseball team, these are some players you probably want to stay away from.
1: It makes total sense because in a smaller season, the volatility can really screw you over. If if a guy gets out to a slow start, it will be tough to bounce back from. Like you said, it kind of brings another idea. It feels more like a a fantasy football season because the, the, like baseball. You have such a long grind. You can wear the ups and downs and the injuries and all that stuff and manage your roster and kind of be there in the end. Where in football, if you have an early injury or a couple bad weeks out the gate saying a head-to-head, you're in big trouble. So it it could even lead to, you know, for fantasy leagues. I don't know about your thoughts on this, but if you're usually like a head-to-head league, it might be better to play Roto this year because if you fall behind early in a head-to-head baseball league, your season might be over really quick. Any thoughts on that at all?
2: Yeah, the only – if it's a heads to head like, uh, points leagues or something like that where you play, like, weekly, I think all you really got to do if you get off to even, say, like, 0-2, 0-3 start is try to just sneak into that. You know, in some leagues, it's, like, 6 out of 12 make True. it. If you can just get that 6 spot, I think anything is possible this year. But I, I'm really curious because... In a normal baseball season, I feel like, not, not saying, like, you know, for us, like, all oh, every day and, and week there's a routine, but just as, like, a fantasy baseball player, like, in April, May, and June, that's really what we have going on. Like, yeah, there's NBA playoffs and stuff, but everyone is paying close attention to fantasy baseball, and we see it every year. Come July and August, the attention totally turns to football. There's, the baseball season, though, this year may be starting around the time that that attention span naturally shifts to football for so many. So that's also another caveat too. Like if you're not going to be paying as close attention at the start of this season as you were in a regular one, you even more so need to avoid that bad start.
1: That's very, very, a uh, good point as well. I know we were kind of talking about it on Twitter the other day. Like I said, that's great for me and more fish to uh, to go feed on because I'll just keep doing my fantasy baseball thing. But you, you are 100% correct. We see it time and time again, even in like our normal home leagues and whatnot, if it's, you know, teams are out of it come July, they kind of start, you know, focusing that attention elsewhere. So it'll be interesting. You know, everyone will be excited when it's back and when, when things ramp up, but it could be a quick, you know, detour to football or something like that because if baseball's back, then obviously football should be just fine. And uh, that's the, uh, the <laughs> that's what turns the wheel, basically, is football. Keeps the ship going. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes along there. Let's start with your hitters column. When you were looking at uh, hitters on slow starts, what kind of things were you looking into to decide what players were off the slow starts? So
2: what I did for this was I went and I took every player, and the stats I was looking in were like batting average and ISO and on-base percentage. I had to look at metrics because if you're looking at counting stats, it's unfair to compare one month to five. It's just always going to be in favor of the five-month period. So I was looking at the metrics, and I took... Uh, a three-year sample because I thought one year is, you know, there's too much unknown in a year. Uh, there's a lot of noise there. But if you have a three-year sample size, at least now you're working with a, a, obviously a larger uh, period of time. And then I I thought three years was a sweet spot too because I don't want to go too far in the past because then, you know, a player isn't what he is today, what he was five years ago. So I thought three years was the the sweet spot to kind of find that. And what I did was I found – Uh, The three-year average for everyone in April and then the three-year average for them the rest of the months of the baseball season. And then I uh, subtracted those two numbers from one another and I saw who would have uh, worse numbers in the first month and who would have the better numbers in the first month. And my thinking, though, was "I I get it. There's some factors I just simply cannot factor in. You know, like if a player was injured or something like that, I can't factor that in. And the biggest thing I can't factor in is the weather. And some people were hitting me up on Twitter like, oh, well, the weather is clearly going to play a factor in this. And I I was telling those people, you clearly didn't read the article because I state that in the article. Like, (laughs) there's no way for me to factor in what weather in April and weather in June is going to be like or July, you know, when the season may start. So that was factored in, but I tried to stay away from hitters that play in uh, cold cities. Like, I did a whole paragraph on the the Rockies because their players were all towards the top, but I started it with saying, like, This is one of those ones that I don't even know if I fully believe myself because the the weather difference between Colorado in late March and early April is very different than June and July. So the Rockies ones I'm not sure about. But the first player I wrote about is Alex Bregman. Alex Bregman plays in a dome. He's out in the AOS, so not as much bad weather as if, you know, you're playing in the Central and the East. And – He continuously, each individual season of the last three years, got off to slow starts. So I think that there could be something here with Alex Bregman.
1: No, that's a good point because, you know, weather is the biggest one that would would stand out to me, and I think it's funny. I I love when people like to criticize things without listening or reading what you're talking about. That always makes it a lot more fun for the conversation. But uh, the weather would be my biggest one because, you know, you mentioned, you know, like how many times does Cleveland have a snow event in the first month of the season – or, um, you know, the difference between Texas and Colorado early on late in the year, they turn into, into band boxes. So it is interesting You pick a place like um, with Bregman in Houston. And the three-year average also, I think, is interesting because a lot of guys, when they make their projections, use three-year averages. So there's something to be said about that as well. So, yeah, Bregman in a in a dome is very interesting because Bregman, I don't know about you, when I was coming into the season, he was the one that was kind of tricky to me at times because I, I, I think he's a great hitter, a great pure hitter. But he's also one of those guys that it's not flashy. I feel like I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop when it comes to Bregman, and maybe I'm just being super picky with a guy like Bregman. But um, he's kind of fallen, obviously, since the the cheating scandal came out. But still, you know, third third baseman off the board according to NFBC. Uh, what is it that stood out to you with a guy like Bregman not uh, not starting out so hot?
2: Yeah. So I not only for the hitters that I did write about did I do this exercise like I did with all of them, but I then went to their fan graphs individual page and looked at season by season month by month. And it it really stood out to me that his worst month every year was April. Like in 2018, his average was a, a career low in April. Uh, I'm sorry. Season low in April in 2017. It was the second lowest for him. The ISO uh, each year was, was a low. So, you're looking at a guy who I, I'm with you like Bregman was tough for me to figure out even before I looked into this because the the Astros cheating scandal and and all the reports that he was, you know, one of the big factor uh, benefactors of it and one of the guys who gained a lot from it. My approach with Bregman has kind of been in a points league. I'm I'm definitely targeting him, because, especially CBS or ESPN, where they issue points for walks and deduct for mm-hmm. strikeouts because he is literally in 2019 he no one was even close to him he walked way more than he struck out he was the best in that category so in those leagues I'm targeting him but in Roto I, I have been avoiding him uh not avoiding him but you know when you're talking about a top 15 hitter it's you can't say you're avoiding him I think but I, I he is not one of my early round guys that I'm really trying to go out and get and that is because I think there's a lot of unknown with these Astros hitters now. How are they going to react to the constant boos? How are they going to react to, you know, not knowing what pitch is coming? And now if we have to even add this in, a potential slow start with Alex Bregman. And that is what I said with a lot of these guys. Like, again, because this is not a perfect science and I'm not going to treat it as it is. I'm not saying everyone who I wrote about getting off to a slow start is now someone I'm avoiding. But I think it can be used if you're debating between Alex Bregman and another closely ranked player well, Alex Bregman has a history of starting slow, so then I'll go with the other guy.
1: Yeah, it's it's another tool to use, another tool in the box, which is definitely something good to have. It's something I talk about on a lot of shows and different stats that keep getting developed as, as they come out. The more tools you can, you can use to help you differentiate players, the better pick you should be able to make in a draft and help your team out. So nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, another guy that really stood out to me in an interesting way is Edwin Encarnacion. He's, a, I, he's on your list, and it kind of hurt me at, at one point because as I read it, I'm with you. He was a guy I, I targeted a lot. If you missed out on those, you know, top-end first basemen and that, that pool starts to get real murky after a little while, Edwin was a great source. And if you look at his ADP over the last – since March 15th, since the you know, spring training got postponed or canceled, he's moved up to the 16th first baseman off the board – as high as pick uh, 135, as low as pick 204. So he's moving up because he was not a top 20 first baseman for a while there. So people are starting to catch on to him. But you're pointing out there's some things to be concerned about. Are you off of a guy like Edwin with this slow start info? Or is it just something to keep in mind?
2: I think it is something to keep in mind. But what I wrote was, because uh, like you said, I, I he was a player that I had very much so been targeting. And in fact, for a couple of years now, I basically have addressed the first base position by being like, all right, I'll just wait and grab Edwin Encarnacion because I feel like he is always the last of the reliable first baseman. Like the guys that, you know, the production you're going to get. And I understand he's getting up there in age, but he still last year, I think performed at a very high level. We're still buying in, not saying he's Nelson Cruz and stuff, but we're still buying in on like Nelson Cruz being good, even at an accelerated age. I think, uh, when you are a an elite power hitter like these guys are, you can last a little bit longer than if you're a player who relies on speed or anything like that. But what I did say was, uh, if Edwin Encarnacion starts to climb, and like you said, he is starting to climb, now I'm becoming a little bit more hesitant to buy him. First of all, just because he's not as good of a value as he was early on. And then second, I said, I like the idea because Edwin Encarnacion, and I, and I get it, like, Years ago, he played in Cleveland a couple years ago, and that could affect this number, these slow start numbers. But uh, I think I like the idea of potentially letting someone else draft him and if he gets off to a bad, you know, two, three weeks to start the year. Then I'm all I'm going to be all over trying to trade for him.
1: Yeah, my biggest question now with already the shortened season with Edwin, because I tried to ignore it at his draft price, but as he's going up in draft price, it can't completely be ignored anymore but I want to know what's the playing time situation in Chicago. Cause at first I thought, okay, they brought him in. He'll DH. No problem. But you got Grandall, You got Abreu You got a loaded outfield. You, you, they still want to catch McMahon also. So there's all these moving parts there. Like how much playing time is Edwin going to get? And that's, that's kind of one of my new questions. I want to find out with Encarnacion is what are they doing with him? Because if he was going to get his normal, a lot of playing time, it's a 40 plus home run guy, in at a pretty loaded offense. So I was a big fan of that, but it is interesting to see him moving up here, slow starter, something to definitely keep an eye on. Um, I'm not going to – I want people to read your article, so I'm not going to go super deep on a lot of these. But I did want to ask you about the, the the next name on here because Giancarlo Stanton was a value, it seemed like, in drafts, going in the fifth round of a lot of 15-teamers. Then he goes and gets hurt, obviously. Then he starts dropping like crazy outside the top 100 and much more. There's reports now that he's good to go. If we had games right now, he'd be playing. Everything seems fine. But he's also a slow starter, which is something to keep in mind. How do you uh, view a Giancarlo Stanton right now?
2: Yeah, so in the article I even wrote that I threw away his 2019 season. I mean, he played less than 20 games. So, yeah, he struggled early on in the year, but it was a two-week span, so I completely threw that away. Uh, He got off to a really bad start in 2018, but again, I'm a little bit cautious to buy into that because it was his first real uh, season in the cold in New York and stuff. So I I don't know how much we need to read into that as him being a slow starter or if it affected him. Uh, But in throughout his career, even with the Marlins, he has been a slow starter. So that is why I decided to include him because it wasn't just the last two seasons. And my, what, I, what my thoughts were on, on Stanton, and I want to see if you agree, because I, I, I think we will agree on this. I was with you when he was going at this suppressed draft price. I was all about drafting him and uh, him and Judge, especially in the early drafts when the season first got suspended and all of these hurt players were going where they were as if the season was still going to start and they were going to miss time. I was all about drafting those players, and I still am if they're going at a discount, but. I think now as we hear that Stanton is healthy and if and when this season does ever start, I expect Giancarlo Stanton to go in like the third or fourth round range, which is where he was going already when uh before he got injured. And if he's going at that price, then I will I will not be targeting him because one, I get it, his upside is a first round caliber player and he is an elite power hitter, but his skill set still is, I think, one of the easier ones to find power and counting stats. Uh plus he does still come with the injury risk, and if now we're tying in a potential slow start risk there, that's a lot of red flags.
1: Yeah, it's tough with Stanton because I was with you. When his value just kept dropping, his price tag kept dropping, I was a I, I was I was a fan of the situation. I wanted some Stanton on my rosters, but then if he starts moving back up now, like he's the 20th outfielder off the board right now, about pick 75. He's going right in front of Ramon Laureano, Tommy Fan, Nick Castellanos going right after guys like Louis, uh, Luis Robert, Victor Robles, Aaron Judge, Eloy Jimenez. It, it's an interesting spot for Stan right now with the question marks that are in play. Uh, do you believe, this is not a part of the article, but just seeing Lewis Robert's name, do you believe that maybe a shortened season helps the younger players or do you think it maybe hurts the younger players?
2: I think it helps the younger players because oftentimes you hear about a rookie wall and and the fact that the MLB season is just longer than the spring uh than the minor league season so i think it it gives us more of these rookies before they hit that rookie wall and if they do hit the rookie wall it'll just be a shorter down period for them if that makes sense like mm-hmm. you know instead of playing 162 games and maybe you hit the rookie wall after 100 or 120 you know you could be good to keep going because the season's going to be a lot shorter i also think it helps more so than that, I think it helps the younger players who are going to start the year in the minors because I, I'll be lying if I tell you I know the formula to figure out the Super 2 dates, but there is a formula there based on percentage of games that have been played in the season. And that percentage, that number of percentage of games isn't going to change, I don't believe. So If instead of, you know, having to wait till like June, maybe they only have to wait a month then because that is the same percentage of the game, just shortened, if that makes sense.
1: No, it makes a ton of sense. I, I totally get it. I was just curious on your thoughts on that one. Seen some mixed reactions there, so I'm, I'm pretty curious. Um, everyone, go check out the article on the hitting. He's got a, a handful of more players he breaks down, plus just list of other guys that, that qualify in the slow starter in certain stat categories. Let's talk starting pitchers now, and there's some very interesting names on here. I'm assuming you use kind of the same method to decipher your starting pitchers?
2: Yes, I did. The exact same formula, just pitching numbers.
1: Gotcha. All right. So the first name is what I really like about these articles is they're all names that have been pretty uh, kind of controversial in the draft time. Uh, and the first one I'm going to bring up is Corey Kluber, because this is a guy that, you know, going super cheap in drafts, depending on like he's the 30th pitcher off the board right now about pick 94. So he's going after Jesus, Lazardo, Trevor Bauer, Brandon Woodruff. Those starting pitchers are all going in front of Corey Kluber right now. He's a guy that uh, your numbers show come off the slow starts. You know, I missed a lot of last season with injuries. But then there's a there's a camp that says, you know, he's as good as they are. He's reliable. Going to Texas is going to be great. All these stories. What's your thoughts on Corey Kluber on a short season?
2: I, I, I do not have any Corey Kluber. I was not drafting him when we thought we were going to get a full 162 game season. And this just, I think, some, like really cements that for me. And it's, it wasn't just last year. I understand he was terrible at the start of last year, but it is throughout his career. Corey Kluber has been a notoriously slow starter. His career, career worst ERA in any month is in April. Highest, uh, like, FIP, X fip you pick the stat, it's probably his worst month is April. He's just a guy who has started slow in his career. Maybe it has to do with the cold weather in Cleveland, but... Throughout his entire career, April has been a struggle, and then I already think there was a ton of red flags last year. His velocity was down. He had the lowest strikeout rate of his career, Career career-high walk rate. Uh, His uh, hard hit rate was a career-high, the FIP career-high, the barrel's highest in the StatCast era, you know? Like, there was so many red flags last season, and and I get it. He was injured, and, and maybe he never really got going or anything like that, but He's getting up there in age now. He has a history of being a slow starter. He struggled mightily last year and missed time due to injury. I just, I can't draft this guy as a top 35 pitcher.
1: Yeah, he's a tough one. He's one that I've been going back and forth on all draft season. I don't think I ended up with him anywhere early on. It's like I wanted to believe in the value of where he's going and the upside he brings is like a third or fourth starting pitcher on your rotation, but a shortened season does make it really, really interesting there in Texas. I'm really not sure what to do with him. So it's one of those I'll probably just pass on the situation, like I mentioned. Question for you. Yes. Who do you – because I think they're very similar pitchers.
2: Who do you like more, former teammates, Kluber or Carlos Carrasco?
1: I am a huge Carlos Carrasco fan. Absolutely yes. huge Carlos Carrasco. I love Carlos Carrasco. When he had a little setback this spring, I was nervous. I feel better now with you know the the layoff. I can't remember what I was looking at the other day. Oh, I think it was actually on Reddit. I, w- I was that bored during these days. I was surfi- searching Reddit. Tells you everything you need to know. But there was a, um, a guy made a chart on K to walk percentages um, over the last uh, – it was from mid-18 through 19 and then mid-17 through 18. And then they had a list of guys that you know rate high on all the different charts they made. Carrasco came up on all of them. And he's that good. I, he really is. He just can't stay healthy right now.
2: I, I am totally with you. He might be my most owned, at least early round pitcher. Like, you know, not the guys that you can get late and take dart throws. But I, I have so much Carlos Carrasco. And my reasoning is I've drafted him a lot as my SP3 or my SP4 in drafts. And yep. I think he is the perfect pitcher in that spot because he has the upside to be in a top 30 arm, I think, easily. Mm-hmm. Like, he was that up until last year. We were valuing him that last year. And if we're ever going to give a guy a pass on a down season, it should be Carlos Carrasco for last season.
1: Yeah, you you would think you'd let that one slide really out of his control. Uh, definitely with you there. He's dropped down to the 46th pitcher off the board, pick 128 right now. So he's still not really getting the boost back up to, be, to pre-injury through all this time. Like James Paxton's going eight picks before him. Zach Gallon's going before him. Julio Urias is going three picks before Carrasco. Um, you know, Max Fried, Mad Bum, Eduardo Rodriguez going right b- behind him. So it's that kind of little realm right there where I think Carrasco, like you said, has pretty much tremendous upside. I- I've said Clevenger's got ace upside. He's getting drafted back in that realm. Carrasco's a very close SP1 on a, a real-life SP1 to an SP2 for the Indians. So uh, I think people in fantasy worlds haven't been able to buy into that because, like you said, they're seeing his – you know, overall production. But last year, you just kind of throw that one away, see where it goes. Uh, he's been able to put up innings before. Shortened season should help him. Uh, as long as, you know, they, they keep showing the rehab, going in the right direction, there's no reason why Cookie can't be a heck of a value right now. I'm 100% on board with you on that one. And uh, I'm the next one up, that, that – uh,
2: which one? I'm happy you brought up Clevenger too, though, because uh, me and I know frequent guests of this show, Frank Stanfield, we uh, yes. we shared a team that drafted a couple weeks ago, and we have Clevenger or ace and Carrasco as I think are SP four.
1: That's a good one to punch before Clevenger got hurt this spring in my rankings. I think I had him. I want to say fifth or sixth starting pitcher. Like I'm super high on him. I have him over guys like Shane Bieber, Strasburg who are going Same. ahead of him right now. I had him ahead of Flaherty, um, which I know is very controversial to some, but wow. I, I believe in Clevenger. Clevenger a big guy on my list. <laughs>
2: I, I had him that high when before he got hurt, and I now moved him up back that high because the injury should be fully behind us.
1: Yeah, let me uh, give some good radio here real quick. Let me pull up my rankings, my Google Sheets real quick, and I'll, I'll tell you exactly where it is. I updated these about a week ago after kind of the latest bit of news. I was doing them almost every day, but obviously that's not important anymore. But um, yeah, I have Clevenger you're not back to six. you
2: rankings every day anymore?
1: <laughs> no. No, I, I, hate, I hate to break it to people, but I am not. Uh, I have Clevenger at six. It's like just DeGrom, Cole, Bueller, Scherzer, Verlander are ahead of Clevenger. And I almost had Clevenger ahead of Verlander. It was close. Do you
2: have it in that exact order? Yes. We have the exact same top six.
1: <laughs> That's pretty good. That's <laughs> pretty, pretty good. <laughs> and I too
2: have debated Verlander and Clevenger.
1: Yeah, I've been real, real close. I think I had Clev ahead of him at one point, but the latest bit of news, I'm pretty confident that the workhorse Verlander, as he's moving along, is going to be just fine come like a July start time. I'm really not too concerned about that one. So it will be interesting there. But, yes, same top six. There we go, everybody. Good stuff here. Um, Let's go to Aaron Nola. This one's another guy similar to Kluber. We know the pedigree has been great. But there's been some question marks here and there. You know, 2018, you know, was a Cy Young. Last year he was very good, but not where you're drafting him for. You're drafting him much higher up to be that ace again. Now he's getting drafted around pick 60, which is a little more intriguing, but you have some info that's maybe should temper our expectations.
2: Yeah, he has been a notoriously slow starter throughout his career. Even in his Cy Young caliber 2018 season, April was his worst month of that year. His uh whip is uh 0.2 higher on average in in the first month of the season than it is the rest of the year uh his strand rate was 5% uh lower his fip almost a 70 0.73 higher xfip same thing so to me and and for pitchers i understand weather can play a factor as well but i think it matters more for the hitters because the pit, the, the batters that the pitchers are facing are at just as big of a disadvantage, if not more so, because the contact that they make is gonna be suppressed. So when I'm seeing a pitcher get off to a slow start, I actually think it's a little bit more worrisome than a hitter because you would imagine any bad weather is playing into the pitcher's hands.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. Noel is a guy that I I just had a tough time ranking this year. I'm looking, I have him eighteenth on my starting pitchers right now. I could see that changing. Like the more we're talking now I almost need to move some more things around. But um when you look at ADP from NFBC since March fifteenth, some guys going ahead of him, uh you Darvish, Chris Paddock, Charlie Morton, Giolito, pretty sure I'd go those guys all over Nola. Same for you.
2: Yeah, I have you have him 18, I have him nineteen, and I am debating lowering him a bit because I, I do have Carrasco behind him and, and that yeah, that's Yes
1: I just bad. looked at. I feel like Carrasco needs to be ahead of him. That I literally was about <laughs> to make that switch too. Let's <laughs> let's make that switch together. Yeah, okay. I just I just saw that. I was like, you know, I probably need to mix that one up right now cause it just doesn't feel right. Like one a couple of guys I got next to each other, like the the question marks with Blake Snell's shoulder. How do you feel on Blake Snell?
2: So, I think everyone knows I'm a huge Blake Snell fan because mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years that. ago. I- yeah, I, I was big on him breaking out, and then he won the Cy Young and made me look much smarter than I am. So I will forever be thankful to Blake Snell. And he was a player I wrote about early on uh, this offseason for Rotoballer, and I thought he was fully back. Uh, last year, he was re- still really good early on until he got hurt, and then he was never really the same. Uh, but now he he is saying he is healthy again. He said the arm was feeling good. He went to spring training earlier than ever for those who you know believe in the whole best shape of my life stuff uh but i think blake snell's stuff is absolutely elite the one concern for him is that elbow and i have moved him back up now he is currently my sp7 uh because i think that this extended layoff it's going to give him more time to heal and rest up and hopefully he can be uh healthy because i think that's the the only hurdle for blake snell like i truly believe all this stuff is elite and uh it's just a matter of if he can stay healthy for one and two, how the Rays manage him. Because the one thing that I did find in my research of Blake Snell that worried me a lot is after he got hurt last year, the Rays really, really limited his innings. And I'm not talking in the playoffs, you know, where they were allowing him to go two innings, like from May on, he was, oh no, it's from when he actually injured himself in the 2018 season on he's averaging a full less of an inning per start than he was before that first injury.
1: Yeah. That's part of my concern. Like, I, 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 before the injuries, I had him up there in the top 10 for sure. I still have not at 17 on mine. Cause I'm terrified. Like I, I'm just of what they could do to him, a shortened season, you know, maybe they, they're going to extend the rosters potentially. They could mess that pitching staff up in so many directions. It's um, so like Snell glass. Now those two, I'm, I'm really skeptical on what they can do. I agree that Snell has elite stuff, elite stuff. If we were, if this was, you know, January, and he was completely healthy, and business was usual, I would have him up seventh, eighth, something around there for sure. I still have him down a little bit, so I was curious on your thoughts with him, because he's one of those guys that, if healthy, could be sneaky nice, because the reason at first, besides looking at my rankings, is he's only going, you know, he's going around pick 44, where Noel's going around pick 58, It's like a round ahead of him in a 15-teamer. Would you rather gamble on Snell at 44, or like a Nola at 58?
2: I would rather go with Snell because I feel like if Snell hits, you're getting a top-10 arm. I think you're getting an ace. Mm -hmm. I think Aaron Nola, his ceiling is just not as high. I I think his floor is safer because, like, obviously the best ability is availability. You have to be out there to be productive for fantasy teams, but I I don't think the ceiling is anywhere as close. And production-wise, I don't think the floor is either.
1: And you mentioned that Snell has the higher ceiling, but Nola has the better, like, consistency and floor on a shortened season do you want to take the bigger risks or do you want more certainty
2: that is a good question and i i have gone back and forth on it mm-hmm. i think there is i, I think the, the the logic that that is going to say like all right you take that that floor and that consistent team and, mm-hmm. and but to me i actually think in a shortened season you should be taking those risks because one i think it'll be easier to replace a player if like a blake snell if he gets hurt in a shortened season, it's obviously less time you got to go without him. But even if let's say like Blake Snell gives us two good months before he gets hurt, well, that in a shortened season, it's a lot easier to live with that. You know, sixty or eighty innings in in a shortened season when everyone else is giving us maybe a hundred and twenty, rather than you know getting eighty innings when everyone else is giving us a hundred and eighty to two hundred. So I think that a lot of these inning concerns, guys like these young pitchers, like. Uh, Lizardo and Urias or even these injury concerned players uh, Blake Snell being one going lower like I think like Garrett Richards the guy uh, Andrew Heaney these p- pitchers that have struggled throughout their career to stay on the mound I think now is the time that you should be taking that risk because I just think it'll be
1: the little bit that you get out of them it's going to go even longer in a shortened season yeah the way I've I've been looking at it so far and obviously things can change once we get a better idea of what we're actually going to be facing because right now we're just completely speculating. Like we've said a million times already, it's just pure speculation, but I think you can take more risk pitching like hitting. I kind of want to get my consistency. I think I think pitching can take more risk because say a guy gets blown up and messes your ratios up. Go grab some middle relief guys. Like I think wins are going to be very interesting this year because with 29 man rosters, double hitters, there's gonna be a lot of managing of innings a lot differently this year. There's going to be a lot of like swingmen, uh, six starters, a lot of different guys you can mix and match and uh, stream-type situations against good matchups week to week. So I think you can almost, um, and this is, again, pure speculation, but the way I'm looking at it now is you can almost play the ratio game a little better and maybe even counting stats with like strikeouts and stuff and pitching with the volatility there than, per se, hitting by chance. That's kind of where I'm at at this point in time. A lot can change.
2: I, I do agree with you, and uh, last season – I went all in on this one strategy, and I think I was a year too early because I think this year is the year to really uh, hammer it home. And my strategy was, like, I'm not worried about injury concerns. I'm just targeting, Mm -hmm. like, you know those pitchers who are great when they're on the mound? Like, Rich Hill is always a a staple of that. The whole Dodgers rotation last year were pitchers that I was targeting. Uh, But just these type of pitchers who they'll give you a strikeout per inning, they'll give you really solid, like, really, really good ratios. But it's just – they're going to miss a lot of time. I I went all in on that last year, and like I'll piece it together. As long as they don't all miss time at the same point in the season, I should be okay. And it worked for me early on, but then as they started to break down, my pitching did start to uh, deteriorate. I think this year, though, I'm going to do that strategy again now that it's a shortened season because, like I said, if these guys come out the gate healthy and they give us – you know, 40, 50, 60 innings before they start to get injured. That mm-hmm. is going a lot further than it has last year. And if you get off to that hot start in pitching, I think, like you said, you pick up middle infield, uh, middle relievers, uh, the elite middle relievers and stuff, and you could kind of ride out that hot start.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Rich Hill's another guy I got to change in my rankings a bit because I've just been hesitant to rank him on the full season idea of things because you're not going to draft him. But now he's very draftable. So that's going to get real interesting with a guy like Rich Hill. A couple more things on this Nola situation, because he's in that kind of glob of pitching where it's it's really interesting to get kind of viewpoints on different guys around him. So we talked about some guys going in front of him, going behind Nola. Two picks later, Nola or Zach Granke?
2: Oh, I am a high guy on Zach Granke. I have him as my SP-12. I think Zach Granke is... Uh, criminally underrated every year like his whip he is one of the elite whip pitchers and I think whip is the most overlooked pitching stat like everyone loves ERA and no one not saying no one but the the most the casual fantasy players and stuff whip gets overlooked often and Zach Greinke is elite in whip he'll give you a good ERA I think the strikeouts won't be you know a a top 15 arm-esque arm numbers but he's not gonna it's not like he's gonna kill you in the strikeout category either and I still expect uh the Astros to compete this year and be a good team and I think he can get plenty of wins as well I I am higher on Granky and he is a pitcher that I've often taken in like the fourth or fifth round
1: I like Granky a lot I have him as 15 in mind but I have no problem with your your rating of 12 it's it's literally as consistent as they come and he eats up innings does everything you want out of a guy to be like your sp2 or if you play that that, that gambling game as an sp1 if you match him up with say a U Darvish or something right away something or or one of those top end guys you can make that work in a big big way so no problem there how about this one the last one we'll do on this Nola or Jose Barrios
2: I have Nola a little bit higher I just think Nola's ceiling is higher than Barrios I, I know uh, Barrios we all for the last couple of years think he can still take that next step but I think at this point I, at least with me, like, I'm not drafting Ber- uh, Berrios and hoping that he is going to continue to take a step. Like, I'm drafting him and being like, all right, what we got the last couple years is who this guy is.
1: Yep. Berrios is one that really is, I think, gets almost the reverse effect this year for a shortened season because what's been so good for him is he throws over 200 innings. He's an accumulator. Now, if you shrink down his innings, that, that strikeout, because he doesn't strike out a ton of guys. So those numbers all start just dwindling, it feels like, unless he changes some repertoire, so it'll be interesting to see how Berrios actually performs on a shortened season where he can't just rack up a bunch of stats due to his inning totals. will be very interesting to see how that plays out. Um, I'll ask about one more guy here, and then then we'll move on. Um, you have Anibal Sanchez, and I, I like that the fact that you put him in here because you could have easily just left him on one of the listed segments. But he's a really interesting late-round target, uh, and some people like him as one of those back-end guys to take a shot on. What's your thoughts on Anibal on a shortened season?
2: I'm still okay drafting him because I was with that thinking. Like, Anibal Sanchez, getting him, you know, like rounds 20 or later in some draft champions, I'm totally cool with that. Usually he is one of my bench pitchers. And the reason I think he is so valuable is because as long as he's healthy and not completely imploding every time he takes the mound, he's going to be out there every fifth day for the Nationals. And the last couple of years he's given you pretty solid ratios. And he's just, I think, Ben – because he's kind of a boring player and for a while he was a bad pitcher. I don't think he gets the credit that he has deserved the last couple of years. Uh but what I said with this is like he has been a notoriously slow starter. And in fact, he was so bad that I drafted him last year and before April even ended, I cut him and I went on to regret that move. But if I am drafting him this year in a draft champions or even, you know, as a reserve pitcher in a regular draft, I'm taking the wait and see approach with excuse me, wait and see approach with him. Like I can't get this guy in my lineup the first or second week of the season because he has been a notoriously slow starter. And he was so bad last April that myself and many others cut him. And one or two blow-up starts like that, that's going to put you heavily behind the eight ball.
1: Yeah, definitely a a big mess there with Annabelle. And where he's going in drafts, like Marco Gonzalez, Sean Newcomb, Kikuchi. um, You got guys like Mike Fires, Zach Plesak. There's no reason not to take a chance on a guy like Animal Sanchez. Continues to do it on a very good national team, where they'll be very competitive yet again this season. So he's going to get supports, going to get some chance at runs, it limits the damage. Things can be very good. Just depends on it does that slow start come. So I'm 100% with you on that one. Let's talk about the third article I had on the outline here, and this one's very intriguing to me because I love digging into Statcast information. I think it's uh, one of the greatest tools invented, and they keep coming up with more. And more awesome stuff to look at with Statcast. When you started doing this article, what were kind of what was the idea behind it? What did you kind of dig into?
2: So my idea was like, I, I think Statcast is great, and and like you said, it's one of the best tools in baseball. And they continuously feed, they come out with new ideas and new information, and and it is amazing. The one thing that I I find it having an issue with them is it's hard to see. A, more than you know going into one player's individual page it's hard to see who has really improved the most year to year because usually mm-hmm. on their leaderboard you could pick which season you want to look at but you can't like combine them and be like all right let me look at the last three years or something like that so I decided to to actually do that and what I did was I I took all the information from 2016 17 and 18 seasons and I combined them into one and found uh, each player's Average for the main stat cast stats, the barrels per plate appearance, the hard hit rate, uh, the 95 plus percent, uh, the exit velo- uh, velocity and launch angle. And then I took those three year averages from 2016 through 2018 and compared them all to 2019 to try to see who really made the biggest jump from their three year average in 2019. And uh, like the, the biggest one by far across the board. Was Kettle Marte. And that wasn't surprising to me because Kettle Marte was a breakout in 2019. And I expected a lot of that season breakouts to be a part of this. But seeing him as make as big of a jump as he did in all of these categories, he increased his launch angle, he his exit velocity, his barrels, like everything, he improved on dramatically. So to me, That made me feel good about Keto Marte. Like, I have no problem drafting him, uh, and and he has been a target of mine. And, in fact, I am working now on a new article for Rotoballer about middle infielders and points leagues. And across every point league site, CBS, ESPN, uh, NFBC, Yahoo, Fantrax, his worst projected finish right now is third, and I believe he is the first projected first baseman, uh, second baseman, in four of the five of those sites. So this guy is very much so for real, and if you're playing in points leagues, he should very much so be a target of yours.
1: Well, that answered my next question. I was going to ask if you're a believer in him this season, so I think that answers that question. Um, When I have him looking at my ranks, I have him as my third, second baseman behind Albies and Altuve. almost have him ahead of Altuve. Real close there. I still believe in Albies for the stolen base upside, but... Cattell's uh, K- a monster and he's going fifth overall in NFC. He's right ahead. Of, he's, he's going at the same draft price as Kest and Hira. How big of a gap do you think there is between a guy like Marte and Hira? Because Hira is a guy, both of them technically are guys that I can hear arguments on both sides of the fence, like, okay, Marte overperformed this or that. Hira, you know, look at his, OB, look at his Babip and all Like they both overperformed to some extent, but they're both legit players that can hit the ball very, very well. What kind of gap do you see between Marte and Hira?
2: So in Roto, I think the gap should be pretty close. Like I still have Marte higher, but I think they're very close in that format. And the reason I have Marte higher is because I believe his average is safer. Like his plate discipline is just a lot better than Keston Hiera. And that is why in Roto, I think it's it's closer, but the plate discipline in points leagues, it's not even close. Like I'd much rather have Keto Marte than Keston Hiera in points leagues because he's going to strike out a lot. He's not going to walk as much, uh, but they're two very close players. I think Marte is the safer option. Uh, and in points leagues, I don't think it's close. But in Roto, I think uh, I actually do think Keston has the higher ceiling. But I think Marte is safer and has a pretty high ceiling
1: himself. And for the listeners, just real quick, what is it that makes Marte so much better in points leagues?
2: So in points leagues, they differ a lot from Roto League, depending on the site you play on. Like the NFBC cut line points leagues they're set up to mimic Roto so you could kind of draft a player how you would in Roto but in a lot of other in all the other points leagues they reward points for walks uh you and some of them you get deducted points for strikeouts uh you get awarded extra points for doubles uh and run scored and, and you know so there's a lot that goes into factoring into how points are scored in the points leagues but to me the biggest thing is you need a good hitter that has good plate discipline Uh, And if you have a lot of a hitter that like Keston Hira, who is a free swinger going to strike out a lot, he is going to lose points on like CBS and ESPN. And if he's not walking as much, he's not going to mitigate those points that he's losing, let alone gain more off of the walk. So uh, Keto Marte is a much better plate discipline hitter. So he's going to gain more points through the walks than Keston will, and he'll lose less through the strikeouts.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for clearing that up for everybody. Uh, Your second guy on the list is a guy I've been a believer in to an extent. Like, I I agree Jorge Soler was just out of this world last year, but I have my reasonings for thinking there's a lot to like about him again this year. What did you find in your StatCast work, and are you a believer in him coming back and having a very solid 2020 as well?
2: Yeah, so I, I am a believer in Jorge Soler, and that is partially because I was a believer in him before the breakout. Like, in 2018 when he first moved to kansas city i was all about like i was touting him and, and drafting him in the later rounds of drafts and he got hurt and it never really panned out and then i i'm i don't know if this happens to you or not like if you're high on a guy and it just doesn't work out the next year i tend to not not let's say like oh i'm avoiding this guy but like I, i'll I, you know i'll have another guy that i'm i'm really very, skeptical. very
1: skeptical very skeptical
2: Yeah, exactly, and and that's what happened last year, and I I missed out on on the Soler breakout. I was a year early, and that that does annoy me, but I think what he did last year is for real because even before the breakout, we knew that he was a hitter who hits the ball very, very hard, and he improved on that last year. We know he is a hitter that hits the ball in the air a bunch, and he improved on that last year. My only concern with him is the strikeouts. Mm -hmm. He was striking out at a high clip in spring training, so that does worry me, but the power is – I think totally legit and it's not just like all right this guy yeah he made a bunch of improvements last year he was great last year as a power hitter um his barrels were per plate appearance were in the top 10 in baseball behind guys like uh just Nelson Cruz Sanchez Judge and Miguel Sano like he was seventh best and those are the guys ahead of you you're talking you're an elite power company
1: yeah he has insane power and you mentioned a few things there I think people forget he was a top prospect, like a high prospect for the Cubs, big power bat, just never really got his chance there. Got traded, obviously, in the way David Steele, and he started to flourish last year. I don't see what really could stop him outside of, you know, striking out 250 times. Like He's going to strike out. just That's part of the deal. He's going to do that. Um, but he's also a guy that will even give you maybe, you know, five to ten stolen bases, which will be a nice plus there. He's going to pick 96 right now, three picks ahead of him is Marcelo Zuna. Would you rather buy into a Marcelo, Marcelo Zuna bounce back or run with Jorge Soler again?
2: Okay, so this is nothing against Jorge Soler, but Marcelo <laughs> Zuna is one of my favorite targets this year. I think he was unlucky last year.
1: Very unlucky.
2: I, yeah, I think he can he can give you five category production because I think the fact that gets overlooked the most with Ozuna is yeah, he was everyone loves to hype up how unlucky he was last year, and I totally agree. I'm buying in on that. But he also stole 12 bases. And I don't think we talk, and like that nearly gets Mm -hmm. talked about enough. Like, I think maybe that decreases this year, but if he could still give, you know, eight plus stolen bases, plus those gains in the average and in the power, and just being in the the Braves lineup now, getting all that uh, counting stat production, I really like Marcel Azuna.
1: Yeah, and Azuna's an interesting one because I'm with you. You look at all of his stat cast metrics, his X stats, everything show that there should be so much more. I was talking to STL Cup of Joe from the Athletic, and he was telling me someone over there wrote an article for the Cardinals, and they showed that his it's not his launch angle, it's like his flight path. I don't, that's not a stat on baseball, servant. it's got like a weird cut to it, which kind of takes away some weirdness to it. It's really odd. I reckon maybe he'll check it out, but uh, Ozuna's one of those guys. If people wonder how high I am on Ozuna and Solaire, they're 26th and 27th on NFBC right now. I have them as my uh, where did I go? Fourteenth and fifteenth outfielders. So yeah, I'm a big fan on both. Uh, would you rather go Jorge Soler or Franmil Reyes?
2: Jorge Soler. Okay. I, I understand a uh, Franmil, and that that's a good comp because I think they're two very similar players. But I think uh, Soler is a little bit more proven. Uh, Soler, you're going to have no playing time concerns with at all. I think. Uh, I just think he's a little bit safer than Franmil.
1: All right, the last guy I wanted to ask you about here, and again, everybody check out the articles. There's tons more players and information on all three of these articles, so go check them out. But it's a name that I think you mentioned the Solaire. Do people buy into it again? Josh Bell is a guy that had an amazing first half of the season. Second half was not much to be desired compared to the first half. little injury, didn't really bounce back. Lots of questions there. But his stat cast members still look very, very strong. Are you a believer in Josh Bell?
2: I am. I, I think uh, he was so good the first half. And and I understand he came back down to earth in the second half. But when a player is that other world, like he he was one of the best fan- players in fantasy baseball in the first half. And to me, it's hard to write that off as a fluke, especially seeing all the gains he made in his stat cast page. Like if he was doing all that and he was still hitting the ball as hard as he had been, and the launch angle was still the same, You'd be like, I'd be like, all right, yeah, he just got lucky. But the fact that he made improvements across the board and was so productive, it's hard for me to say that. It's just a fluke. But I do think there is room for Bell to grow because if he, I, I mean, think about what his season could have been like last year if he didn't just totally free fall in the second half. Like, I, And the fact that he's a, still a young player and he was a former top prospect in his own right, and we know he... Even when he wasn't hitting for power, he was always a, a high-level contact hitter. So now that he can put it together with some power, I think he can actually even grow off
1: of what he did last year. Yeah, he's a tough one for me because I, I had him in TGFBI last year and other places where he was tremendous. Like he was so huge for, for everything he did. Um, again, he's 10th first baseman off the board right now. I have him currently as my 11th first baseman, but I'm just having issues with, with seeing him. Where do you have him ranked if you have it available?
2: I'm pulling... Uh, this is more great radio. I'm pulling up my first base rankings right now.
1: Uh, no because it's, it's, it's just interesting based on... Because there's a lot of interesting debates at the first base position.
2: So I have him currently at 10.
1: That's where we're pretty close. Okay, so it's it's pretty much the same kind of thought process there. Because, like, you know, NFBC has Max Muncy going ahead of Bell. I think I'd have Bell over Muncy. What about you? I have Muncy at 8 at first
2: base. I Muncy is one of my favorite players because... He the, the position eligibility he gives you is, I think, extremely valuable, especially in the draft champions or something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, Muncie, I, I don't worry about the playing time. I think he's going to get his. I think he'll hit for power, and he'll, uh, he'll hit for a pretty good average. But it, my rankings, too, are uh, Points League's rankings, the one little okay. difference there. So the fact that he walks so much is just a huge plus for him.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Mine are more, uh, Roto based situations. So similar stuff there, I guess I'm, I'm more, I, I'm always kind of an anti-Muncy. It's like yours talked about. We all have our kind of biases or thoughts for some reason. I just can't get off of him yeah, And he burns me time and time again. So one of these days I'll, I'll get on board and I'll let everybody know to like avoid him because now I'm on board <laughs> with Max Muncy. We all, all you know how that know? always just,
2: goes. That'll be the day I stop
1: drafting. Yeah. Everyone knows that's how that goes. When someone finally comes on board, it just never ends well. Uh, let's do a, we have one listener question and listener questions has been very slow this time of year because there's not a lot to, uh, to, to, to practice for, but this one's kind of fun. I like these kind of not just fantasy questions at yanks, eight, seven, one asks who wins the fight, Mike, you or Frank?
2: Uh, Frank knows, took a lot of karate classes as a kid. Uh, and I did not, I quit after one lesson, so I will, uh, <laughs> I'll give the
1: edge to Frank there. Nice. Nice. I like that. how, how. <laughs> So you knew Frank took karate. Did, did you guys grow up together or did you just get to know each other uh, when you guys worked together? We
2: met in uh, freshman year of high school and have been friends since.
1: Nice. I love it. Yeah, he's such a such a good dude. And you know, I can see how you guys could uh, get along quite well. I had a couple other questions. So these aren't listener questions, but more my questions. Watching is something you talked about on Twitter earlier today or yesterday, I just want to get your, get your thoughts on it. You said Tony Soprano over Walter White. What is your reason? No, no, no. That? I was very adamantly
2: defending Walter White. Oh,
1: okay, good. Soprano. Gotcha. Okay, I was confused. I was like, I I'm, I got to hear the reasoning behind that, because I am very Walter White over Tony Soprano as well. Um, I'll let you have the floor, though. Explain why you think Walter White over Soprano. So my initial reasoning
2: was Tony Soprano was, again, He it, Sopranos is in my top three shows of all time, and I, I think Tony Soprano is one of the best characters in TV, but Breaking Bad is literally my favorite show. Yeah. and. I said Tony Soprano was born into his criminal enterprise and he kind of inherited everything. Walter White started building his criminal enterprise at age 51, made it bigger than anything Tony Soprano could ever dream of. It was a billion dollar worldwide company. And he did so in less than two years.
1: Yep. With cancer (laughs) in New Mexico.
2: (laughs) And, And then the argument kind of became like, who's a more complex character and, and one of the again spoiler alert i guess if you haven't watched either show but they've both been over
1: for yeah, years yeah a little so. while now i think we're past the <laughs> statute of limitations there
2: i, I want to hear your argument on this cuz uh the it, it was a producer at FNTSY that i was talking to so you know it, it's like someone i know in person and it wasn't a heated like argument like we were just d- debating and he said oh well tony soprano had to kill uh christopher his own family member walter white never had to do anything like that he couldn't kill jesse he repeatedly showed that and i said jesse was the one exception because walt lost everything though because walt loses jesse loses his family loses hank uh Mm -hmm. everything for his meth enterprise and and to me and then it also became uh the other argument we were debating on these two guys is like oh tony soprano he justified everything he did and walt said he did it uh because he likes it at the end of the show and to me that makes walt that much worse like where he started out and then where he ends up and to be like, I did, I didn't do that for you guys. Like I said, the whole time, I just did it because I liked it and I felt alive. Like that to me, that adds something that you never see on TV and it just makes him, I think the best character ever.
1: Yeah. No. And also I just want to clarify to people. I didn't think it was an argument or anything. I think, I think these debates are fun because everyone can have different viewpoints on TV, movies, music. That's kind of fun about it. So I just, I was curious because I'm a huge Breaking Bad fan with you. um, I'm asking, I'm assuming I know the answer. Have you watched Ozark season three?
2: I have not. I have not watched any Ozark actually. Oh no.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll hold that one off then. But uh, if you like Breaking Bad, I think you'll like that. Have you seen Better Call Saul?
2: Yes. So I actually, I just, I fell behind, but I just finished the last two seasons and now I'm all caught up uh, with this one and I mean, how can you watch Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and not say that they're like two of the best franchises ever? I was
1: about to ask, where does has it creeped into your top five?
2: Uh, it's definitely up there. Like, it's not yeah. anywhere. Like, number one is Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. I think for anyone who likes the shows can never top Breaking Bad. Yes. Because there's a sense of, you know, we already
1: know what happens. But it, it is damn good. Yeah, no, it is. But yeah, I just thought I'd ask a couple little TV questions because I saw it on the Twitter and it's always uh, fun to get the opinions there because The Ringer has done some interesting ones that, you know, there's brackets everywhere right now, but The Ringer's doing like best TV characters and there's some questions that are just matchups that are tough, tough to break apart, like real (laughs) real tough, depending on what your viewpoint is. So the Walter White Soprano one is very, very interesting to me. But uh, I think that'll wrap us up on this episode, Mike. Uh, Any any final thoughts for the listeners? Uh, what you got coming up at Roto Baller and whatnot? Yeah, so
2: the next couple of weeks, I'm going to continue to be rolling out these videos of, of sleepers, my favorite sleepers at each position. Uh, today, shortstop's coming out. Then I'll have later this week, third base, and then outfield pitcher, relief pitcher. Uh, you know, more of the same. My points leagues article's coming out there on Roto Baller. And I'm sure as we get closer to the NFL season, I'll have some NFL stuff dropping, uh, and I'm, Bubba, I, you know, I think we had a great time talking baseball, but I am more happy to hear that you are on my side with this Walter White and Breaking the Hat. <laughs> oh yeah,
1: I'm huge on that. That's why I saw that. It stood out. I'm like, we got to talk about it for a second because I don't think people, or I think most appreciate what Walter White did, but what he did as a character when he, going from, you know, nerd chemistry teacher to getting cancer and turning into one of the biggest meth dealers in all the planet or meth makers, dealers, you name it, is ridiculous. So the storyline is hard to make. I'll tell you that much.
2: You know what I just thought of, and I should have thought of this earlier when I was debating it. Like if you watched the first episode of the Sopranos and then the last episode and you saw Tony, you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But if you watched the first episode of Breaking Bad and then the last episode, you'd be like, how the hell did we get here?
1: Yeah. Well, I tell my my mom a a long time ago when she had a, she had a surgery, she's like, well, what shows should I watch? And I said, I gave her the five sets of Breaking Bad. i will just watch these. This is like before the Netflix kick. Like well, will just watch these, and she starts watching. She's like, "I thought this wasn't supposed to be a comedy because the first few episodes are just like humorous. They're not even like scary." <laughs> and then I get a text message one day and goes, "Oh, I get it now." <laughs> he just like turns <laughs> and it just changes everything. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's not the um, very different for sure.
2: I had a similar story to that. Uh, to just keep talking about Breaking Bad, I guess. Uh, yes. <laughs> my sister tried watching it, and she watched season one, and then gave up on it. And then, like last week, she was like, "You know what? You always are telling me that season one is a little slow to just keep watching." So she started it over again. And like two nights ago, I got a text like, "Why didn't Gus? Uh, why didn't Hank leave the parking lot when he got the warning?" And I'm like, "See, <laughs> now you're fully in, and now you understand why why I've been hyping it up for so long."
1: Yes, it's uh, it's a wild show, absolutely wild. Like one of these days, like there's so many other shows I need to c- catch up on. Like I binge watched Ozark like a month ago to get ready for season three. Like I had never watched it either. Uh, there's a, a ton of shows that I need to watch, but I really want to rewatch Breaking Bad. One of these days, I think it needs to happen. It's absolutely amazing. But uh, we'll wrap it up there before we talk for another hour on this and keep going. <laughs> but um, everybody, check out Mike on Twitter at Michael F Florio. Uh, awesome work over there at rotoballer he's got some work uh nfl network eventually fan tracks all kinds of with stuff with mike but uh, mike thanks for joining me man i really appreciate it
2: thank you so much always a pleasure to come on anytime just reach out
1: will do everybody this was bench with bubba episode 270 catch you guys later